We are on uh, the third teaching in our series on hearing God and being led by His Spirit. And I do want to qualify. I'm, each time I'm giving you a little homework. Uh, today I'm going to give you some homework also. But if you did not hear my last one, the one before this, the one that was on uh, God's thoughts towards us, um, you have to go listen to that one before you do the homework, okay? Because uh, you have to get the heart right before you get the practice right. Anyway, we'll talk about that more as we go. So uh, I want to jump in. If you want to pull out your notes, you can feel free to follow along. Uh, or if you, you know, just want to trust me, that's fine too. I'll read you the verses and so forth. So uh, we talked about how we can hear his voice. We talked about uh, what does God like to talk about with us. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about uh, speaking for God. Uh, and of course, my subtitle, It's Not Just for Prophets Anymore. Uh, you'll understand that in a minute. It is for all of us, even if you're not called to prophetic ministry. Now, what I want to do uh, rather than just doing a teaching on the prophetic, uh, we'll hit that a little bit, and, I'm, and I don't have time to go deeply into that, so we'll, uh, we'll kind of hit the high points on that. I want to address more the philosophy or the heart behind this uh, to give us a foundation to build on, okay? So let's start by looking at God's original plan for human representation. After the garden... When God turned us loose on the earth and we wreaked havoc, uh, he did not really have direct human representation going on. He was representing himself directly. And he decided at some point uh, that he was going to pick a guy. That would be Abraham. And through that guy, he was going to make a nation. That would be Israel. And that he would use that nation to represent him in the earth so that all the nations in the earth could begin to understand him and begin to relate with him again, because we were losing focus pretty hard, right? And so uh, I want to look at the original plan, because uh, God did get back to his original plan. And it was this. It's in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. It says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Let's notice, first of all, that his plan has a caveat. Uh, We have a part. Uh, We get to participate in his plan if we obey his voice and keep his covenant. If we do what he says and we stay in that place of relationship with him, right? So, it says, then you shall be to me a special treasure above all the people, for all the earth is mine. Psalm 24 says this, all, says specifically, all the people in the earth are his. He says, but you're going to be a special treasure to me among all the people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That term, holy nation, only occurs twice in the Bible. We'll look at the second one in a minute. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. He was talking to all the children of Israel right? And so they were to be a special treasure, a kingdom of priests, priests uh, or intermediaries between God and man. Priests uh, speak for God to men, and priests speak to God about men. We call it intercession, right? And so this was going to be all of Israel's job, to be an entire nation of priests, a holy nation, a set-apart nation that would represent God in the earth. Now, that did not happen. That was the original plan. It's important we understand that that was God's original plan. It did not happen because they did not obey his voice and keep his covenant. In fact, uh, while he was still on the mountain talking with Moses, uh, they had made a golden calf, you remember? And they made a golden calf, and they had a party, and Moses came down, and he was ticked, and he broke the Ten Commandments, and... He makes, in Exodus 32, he makes this statement. He says, uh, who's on the Lord's side? And the Levites all rally to him. And he says, go start killing people. And they kill people until God tells them to stop. And uh, so that's the only thing that sets the Levites apart is different. And we read in Numbers 3, uh, God basically says this. I'll summarize. He says, my plan originally 
was to take all the firstborn as, as uh, mine, as holy unto me as priests. He says, but, uh, and because that's, he killed all the firstborn in Israel, but remember, the Passover saved all the firstborn, I'm sorry, in Egypt, but saved all the firstborn of Israel. He says, so they're mine, they're set apart for me, and that's the beginning of his kingdom of priests. So, you know, all the different tribes would have had priests, uh, all the firstborn. But he says, nope. Uh, I'm going to do it differently. Instead of them, I'm going to take the Levites. Why? Because the Levites zealously responded. Now, I want you to see that it was not God's original plan. His original plan was that everybody got to be a priest. But he ends up choosing the Levites, what I call ordination by response. Uh, I love in Matthew 22, 14, uh, the Bible says, many are called, but few are chosen. And it sounds very mysterious. All that is saying is, I make the call broadly, but I only choose those who respond. You want to be chosen? Just respond. And so the Levites were chosen to be priests out of all the nation of Israel. His intention was the entire nation would be priests. But the Levites were chosen because they're the only ones that responded with zeal to obey his voice and keep his covenant. Right? So you understand that. So that's what he did. And what I want you to see is this is God's heart. God's intention was always to empower his people to represent him. And Moses understood this. I love this little thing that happens in Numbers 11. And again, I'll just summarize and tell you the story. This is a favorite story for pastors. So what's going on is in Numbers 11, uh, Moses is uh, shepherding the million or so Israelites, and they're complaining again because they, they want meat. And Moses goes to God and says, literally, uh, I didn't birth all these people. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not making this up. This is what he says. He says, I didn't birth these people. I don't know why you put this burden on me, but if you're going to continue to treat me this way, kill me now. He says, kill me now. He really does. Now, well, and so pastors relate to this verse. Not me, because you guys are awesome. <laughs> and you never complain, so I, I hardly ever ask God to kill me now. <laughs> but uh, other pastors relate to this verse. Because the people were a burden, right? I'm not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> there you have it. So, um, God says to Moses, here's what I'm going to do. You pick 70 elders that are recognized as elders among Israel, and, I, and you have them come to the tent of meeting, and I'll take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on them, and they will help bear the burden. In other words, we'll spread out the leadership, right? Now, here's what happens. It's interesting, because it, it, this is one of those times Israel goes back and forth between thinking Moses is awesome and thinking they should go back to Egypt and get a new guy to lead them. So this is one of those times where they weren't real, uh, they weren't thinking Moses was awesome. And so he picks uh, the 70 elders. They're going to come and receive the Spirit. 68 of them come to the tabernacle, and two of them stay in camp. It doesn't say why they stay in camp, but I think we can figure out. They're like, you know, I'm not impressed with Moses, and we don't have meat, and I'm kind of where the people are. No, I ain't coming. I don't, I don't care if you do call me. I'm staying right here. Well, God went, all right, that's the 70 Moses picked. That's the 70 I'm working with. So he puts his spirit on them, and they prophesy. The 68 at the tabernacle prophesy, and the two that are still in camp prophesy, even though they didn't show up for ordination. And um, Joshua, someone comes and tells Joshua, uh, you know, Moses' assistant, and Joshua runs to Moses and says, hey, these two guys that didn't show up for church today are prophesying in camp. Uh, you should forbid them. Do you want me to go forbid them? Want me to go tell them to stop that stuff? Right? Because they, they didn't go through the class. <laughs> they didn't come get ordained. They're kind of dissing you, Moses. They aren't even really coming under you right now. Uh, so I should tell them stop, right? Well, let's look at Moses' response. I love verses that reveal the heart of a leader that God chooses. And Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? 
Are you concerned about me in this? That, uh, that they're not, you know, respecting me or whatever? And he goes, and here's an expression of God's heart. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Isn't that awesome? And we know ultimately that's very forward thinking of Moses, that God would do that. But uh, his desire as a leader is that everyone would have a direct relationship with God, would speak for God, would have the Spirit of God. And I submit to you that every leader needs to have that desire, whether they come to the class or not. I still want them to prophesy. I still want them to have the Spirit of God, right? So let's leap ahead to the New Testament, and we see the New Testament plan is exactly the same as the Old Testament plan, uh, except for um, he didn't you know, just do the Levites. He did everyone this time uh, because we all responded by saying yes to him. The plan is a nation of king priests. So before it was a nation of priests, now it's king priests. He's added a, another level of uh, leadership there. Um, so, and we know this. Uh, we see this in Revelation in chapter 1 and chapter 5. It's very clear. He says that, uh, he has made us kings and priests to our God. Now, we already said uh, what priests do, what kings do is rule. Kings is, is governmental. So I want you to understand that the calling for every believer in the New Testament, every believer, if you're a believer, this is your calling, is to rule in the earth. There will be a time when we do that in a more direct way. But even right now, we are to execute his rule through his kingdom in the earth as priests, through intercession and through proclamation. We rule uh, by representing the people in intercession for God, and we rule by hearing God and proclaiming to the people what God is saying. All of us are king priests. You guys are just as ordained as I am. Now, we have specific areas where we might have gifting and calling and ordination, but we have to see this that we're all king priests, especially when we begin to talk about speaking for God. I love in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, I love this passage because the language used in Exodus, uh, that special treasure language, is only used a few places. It's used in Exodus, a little bit in Deuteronomy, I think, and once in Psalms. Uh, Holy nation is only used in these two passages. And so Peter is clearly going back to the original plan. He's clearly going, hey, remember God's original plan? He's doing it now. And he didn't even have revelation to work with yet because he died before it was written. And he says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, king priests, right? A holy nation, exact same language, his own special people, right? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are the fulfillment of God's plan for human representation on the earth. He wants to speak to the earth through us in a lot of ways. And so the reason I want to deal with this philosophically is because I don't want you to just get locked in on the one gift of prophesying. I want you to see that there's all kinds of ways we're supposed to represent God in the earth. Which leads me to the term that, uh, I know his name, Paul, yeah. The term that Paul uses is ambassador. How many of you know what ambassador is? All right, only one, good. Um, now you know. How many of you know what a messenger is? Which do you think is more important, an ambassador or a messenger? Yeah. You understand where I'm going with this? See, we get really excited about the prophetic sometimes. And the Old Testament prophetic model is just being a messenger. It's just going, God said this. They would literally go, God said this, do with it what you will, I'm walking off. Now, ambassadors can't do that. If you're an ambassador, you don't get to say, hey, here's what God said, do with it what you want, I'm walking off. Because God says, no, 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 you stay there an ambassador. You have to represent more than just what I said. You have to stay there and represent relationship and represent my heart. It, ambassador's way higher than messenger. And so we have to get an idea uh, that when we're speaking for God, it's much more than just 
getting a prophetic word right. Okay? So, uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 is where he uses this term. He specifically says that we're ambassadors and that we've been given, each of us, the ministry of reconciliation. Right? So, we are all called to speak for God. Have to hear this. We are all called to speak for God. Every single believer. And prophecy is just one gift or one way that we do that. It's the revelational part where uh, God shows you something you couldn't have known and that helps you to speak. But it, it's not the only thing. Uh, if you're an evangelist, uh, you have the gospel and you speak for God in that way. If you're, uh, you know, I'm teaching and, and uh, it's my sincere hope that the Spirit of God is helping me with this and that I'm speaking for Him and teaching. It's different than prophesying, but I'm hoping there's a prophetic element to it. That I'm hearing God as I'm preparing this for you guys. So there's lots of ways that we speak for God. And uh, we do need to separate out and understand uh, the prophetic in this. But I just want you to understand that. I don't want you to get too locked in on just that one little narrow gift. There's lots of ways, you know, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, stuff like that. Now, this would be a good time to review what I talked about the last time I taught, and that was the purpose of the prophetic. Remember we saw in 1 Corinthians 14.3 that the purpose of the prophetic is to build up, to encourage, and to comfort, right? And so if you didn't hear that teaching, please go hear that one before you start prophesying because you want to make sure you're doing it with the right purpose in mind. Now, also we said that the purpose was to reveal his calling and his design that he would tell us the secrets of our hearts. And that those weren't bad things, those were good things. Those were callings and giftings that he had put in us that he wanted to draw out of us. That literally the prophetic gifting is to call people to who they are in Christ, right? Just remember that. So keep that in mind as we're going through this because what he's after as ambassadors is a partnership. He's wanting to partner with us. He's saying he wants us to have his heart and his insights and minister them through our personality and our gifting. Now think about that. There is not one method, one style, one way to, for example, give a prophetic word. So we get his heart, we get his insights, his revelation, but we get to use our personality and our gifting. And the same information may come through differently uh, from an evangelist or an encourager or a teacher or whatever, right? Amen. Because it's coming through our personality and our heart. The important thing is that we are, are representing him well as ambassadors of Jesus Christ yeah. and speaking for him. Now, to do that, all of our speech as an ambassador must carry the testimony of Jesus. This is really important, and that's why I put it in bold in here. In, uh, there's an interesting story in Revelation. In Revelation, you got to think about this. John's a real person. It's real easy to go, you know, read the Revelation and, and go, well, you know, John was an apostle. He could handle that. But it did freak him out. Uh, at one point, and this is the part where it freaked him out. Um, he's right before uh, this passage I'm getting ready to read, uh, the angel who's showing him around shows him the horror of Babylon and he marvels at her, and the angel goes, quit marveling at her. And then he shows him the fall of Babylon, and uh, John is so overwhelmed, so impressed by the revelation he's getting, that he, that he falls down and begins to worship at the angel's feet. And the angel says, stop that. Right? So uh, he's, you know, and we can give John a break, because none of us have had an angel show us around the future <laughs> quite like that, Right? So it's probably fairly intense. We'll let him slide. But let's learn from his experience. Revelation 19.10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. Now I just want to stop here and say, that was John. None of us would get so excited about someone's gifting that we would actually put more emphasis on the person than on God, Right? We wouldn't just get enthralled with a person because of their gifting. We wouldn't, for example, elevate a person because of their gifting uh, instead of elevating Jesus. We would understand that it's just Jesus and that person's not any more special than anyone else. Right? Okay. It's just checking. 
And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see, you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. And then here's the key phrase. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, the whole heart, the whole spirit, the whole impetus of, of the prophetic message is to be about Jesus. When you prophesy, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And even, it's not really even about the person you're prophesying to so much as it is about the person you're prophesying to being who they are in Jesus. It's always about Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So if we want to speak for God, if we want to be a prophetic people, we have to carry the testimony of Jesus. And that doesn't just mean we're getting the words right. It means we're getting the heart right as well. The spirit right. Uh, I remind you, we talked about this last time. Uh, James and John in Luke 9. Remember, do you want us to prophesy like Elijah did and call down fire from heaven? Remember that? And what did Jesus say to him? You don't know what spirit you're of. You don't have the testimony of Jesus that is the spirit of prophecy. You got the wrong spirit going on in that prophecy. This isn't a time to prophesy like Elijah, right? Now, here's the thing. So we get this. We have to have his spirit, his heart. Really want us to catch this. Being a prophetic people is way more about having his spirit and his heart than getting the words right. Because if you have his spirit and his heart, you'll do a lot better at getting the words right. You'll do a lot better at hearing the words. Now, that being said, I love the gifts of the Spirit. And I love that we're pursuing them and that we're trying and that uh, people are getting healed when we pray for them and then prophetic words are coming out and, they're, and with confirmed accuracy and things like that. I love all that. But uh, let's just be honest. We're dabbling in the, in the shallow end of the pool. Okay? <laughs> we really are. There is way deeper stuff and you know how you get deeper stuff? You go deeper in Him, and you let Him get deeper in you, and we'll get deeper stuff. So I'm not saying that to in any way belittle what's going on. I want us to keep going for it. But I just want us to know that, that there is way more than we realize. We're really not in the deep end yet. I'll give you some examples. Um, now, we say, you know, James and John were of the wrong spirit when they called down fire from heaven. But that doesn't mean that's always going to be the case. In Revelation chapter 11, you remember reading about the two witnesses? It says they're in Jerusalem, and if anyone tries to kill them, fire comes out of their mouth and consumes people. Right? That's, that's a pretty heavy-duty prophetic gifting right there. I'm not sure I want to trust any of you with that right yet. Or myself, right? Now, here's the thing. You go on, you keep reading, and it says they have the power to shut up the heavens so that it doesn't rain. And here we go. To cause plagues on the earth whenever they wish. Whenever who wishes? Whenever God tells you to? No, whenever they want. God gives at least two men the authority to plague the earth whenever they feel like it. Man, I hope they don't wake up and just have a bad day. Right? So here's my point. For God to give you that kind of authority, what kind of heart and spirit must you have? Yeah, we've got to get his heart to be trusted like that. I don't think it's only going to be those two guys. Now, they're special, obviously, and probably, you know, way on the far high end of the scale. But I think there's going to be people in the earth that have so, uh, in the last days, that have so given over their heart to God, that have so pursued his heart, so connected with him, that God will give them authority. I believe he wants to give men and women in his church the authority that what they say happens not just when he says it but when they say it when they say happens yes. Yes. i think he's going to do that yes. 
And that's why it's such a big deal that we let him work on our hearts. Because he wants to give us that kind of authority. Isn't that wild? And so uh, when we talk about speaking for God, that's why I'm so locked in on the heart thing. I'll give you one example, just again, to show you maybe what the deep end might look like. Uh, you guys, most of you know the name uh, John Wimber and Paul Kane. Uh, John Wimber was a pastor uh, and a founder of the Vineyard. Uh, Paul Kane was a world-known prophet, prophesied to presidents, all that stuff, right? Very accurate. Uh, when Paul and John met uh, through a phone call, I guess, um, John said, yeah, I'm supposed to come and, and prophesy to you. Uh, Paul, I'm sorry, Paul Cain said to John Wimber, I'm supposed to come and prophesy to you. And uh, here's how you're going to know that, uh, that what I'll tell you will come to pass. God's going to confirm it uh, with a sign. Uh, when I come to you, uh, there's going to be an earthquake in your city. And uh, John said, oh, okay, when are you coming? And Paul said, you pick the day. And so John did, and Paul came, and there was an earthquake. That's the deep end. Now, again, I'm not really excited about making earthquakes happen. But I'm saying, guys, we don't have any idea the kind of authority God wants to give us. That's why he's after our hearts. Let us speak for him, okay? So... Oh, let's see where I'm at. Oh, so that leads me to John 7, 18. One of my favorite verses when I teach on the prophetic, I teach, I always use this verse. Um, I talked about this a, a couple weeks ago. Um, they, were, they were trying to figure out, the Pharisees were trying to figure out how Jesus was doing such a good job of teaching when he was just a redneck. Uh, he, hadn't, he hadn't been to seminary. Uh, he's just a carpenter. And they couldn't figure it out. So they're asking him, How's this, this guy hasn't learned letters. How's he teaching like this? And Jesus said, well, he basically says, it's because uh, I'm not trying to impress you. Uh, it's not about my education. It's about the Father. I'm speaking for him. I'm just telling you what he said. Right? And so he lays out a principle here that we want to get. He says, in John 7, 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. He wasn't seeking his own glory. He wasn't seeking recognition. He didn't have a diploma on his you know, donkey, whatever. That wasn't what he was about. He said, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. And we all, at different times, we've all fallen into that trap of kind of wanting to build ourselves up, haven't we? It says, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. And so the trick is, when we're going to speak for God, that we want to make sure that we're doing it all for his honor, for his glory, and we're not, and here's the phrase, speaking from ourselves. Now, there is out in the foyer little booklets called Prophetic Ministry. You can grab one if you want. I don't know how many are out there, not a whole lot, so, but we can always make more. We have the technology. And um, it says in your notes, page two, but that's because I was looking at the eight and a half uh, by 11 version, not the little version. So it's actually page five in the booklet. I'm going to read you um, where I talked about this in the booklet, um, some of the ways that we can speak from ourselves. And I'm just doing this to, to give you an idea of how easy it is for us to mess this up. Because when I read this list, Everyone in here, including me, uh, there's going to be a word or two where we go, oh yeah, I've done that, right? So here's ways we can speak from ourselves instead of from God. Out of ambition, out of our unforgiveness, out of criticalness, yikes, that one's popular, out of fear, out of excitement, we're just to get excited and start prophesying things we want to happen, out of anger, out of compassion, prophesy good things when it's uh, not necessarily what God's doing. God's correcting, maybe. Out of justification, out of impatience, out of intimidation, control. Nobody's ever seen that, right? Someone control other people with prophetic ministry. Wounding, natural perceptions, passions, or pet doctrines. You see how easy it is to speak from ourselves, And so, 
we don't want to do that. We want to be pure vessels. And so uh, this brings me to the key. Now, this is going to sound a little strange, but this is, I believe, the key to prophetic ministry. Uh, and you can err on either side of this. And it is this. First, uh, be yourself. And second, keep yourself out of it. Now, that sounds backward, uh, but we err on the first one by trying to sometimes, you know, use King James English or sound more religious than we are, right? Uh, and so, uh, just be yourself. Again, you're an ambassador. You're allowed to convey God's intentions with your personality. But you don't want to speak from yourself. You don't want to, you want to be real, but not let yourself, your uh, issues, into the Word. That's it. That's the thing. Now, so when we look at that list, for example, if God's pointing at things, it's not because He's mad at you. If He's pointing out, hey, you're being a little critical, or hey, you're, you're speaking from your passion, or hey, you're, you're, you're doing this a little bit for your ambition. It's not because He's mad. It's because He wants to give you authority but he wants you to be able to keep yourself out of it so that you can speak with his voice. He wants, to so, he wants to bring you to the place where whatever you say happens. But you got to really have his heart for that. He wouldn't let John and James prophesy at first because they didn't have his heart. By the end of it, John got to write a whole book we call The Revelation. It's a pretty good prophecy, right? You understand what I'm saying? So, be yourself and keep yourself out of it. That's the trick. And remember that we are not just conveying his words. We are ambassadors. We represent his heart. You don't get to just say, well, that's what God told me. You deal with it. I'm out of here. We convey his heart. Sometimes we stay in pastor or teach after. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So... Uh, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about how we begin to move into this or practice this. So uh, I need uh, two volunteers who are, who are fairly close up here. here. You guys want to be my volunteers? You two? It'll be great. Okay. You stand here, and then you stand over there. And uh, in your notes, you see there's this scale. Now, uh, these two represent either end of the scale. And I just want to tell you, they're awesome. So I've picked them so you'd have no suspicion whatsoever that this would even apply to them. Because both of these ends of the scale are not places you want to be. Okay? Now, over here on the scale of prophecy is the Old Testament model. 100% accurate. You say it and it's accurate. Or we don't stone you because that's the Old Testament, but we will quit talking to you and we will take the mic away. Right? 100% accurate. Now, if any of you believe that you qualify for this end of the scale, you may have a pride issue. <laughs> I have never met, a including Paul Cain, I've never met a 100% accurate prophet in the New Testament or in, the, or in this common era. On this end of the scale is the person who goes, I'm looking at that end of the scale, and I don't want to be stoned or have the mic taken away, so I'm too scared to even try. I'm just going to go, that's not my gift. I'm not speaking for God. Leave me alone. Right? If you're on this end of the scale, you may have a fear issue. You may not really get God's love for you. And, uh, you know, you may be copping out because we're all called to speak for God, Right? So in the middle of this is uh, this whole range we can wander around in, right? Which I'm going to call, and it's in your notes, uh, I'm going to call it confident humility. Where we are confident in God's ability to use us as his people, but we're humble because we're not so confident in our ability to always get it right. And so we just present with humility. Now, on this end of the scale... Uh, you may be leaning a lot more on the humility than the confident. But we want to work towards this way, right? Confident humility. 
It's amazing what you can, if you're humble, what you can get away with. You can make mistakes, and people will still like you if you're humble. Have you noticed that? Now, if you're not, if you're over here, and you're all, thus saith the Lord, and, uh, and I don't make mistakes, you make a mistake, uh, you aren't going to get a lot of grace. People will not cut you much slack. This humility thing is a big deal with the prophetic. All right? All right, thank you, ladies. All right, so, uh, but there... So I wanted you to see that because, honestly, too many of us are over here, and I'm not even going to try. And, we, and it's not acceptable. The people of God have to speak for God. Again, it's not always prophecy. It can be teaching or encouragement or whatever. But there might be prophetic elements in it. And so we have to learn how to do it. So if we're going to learn how to speak for God, if we're going to move in this confident humility scale, we need to have two things. One, we need to have the freedom to fail. Right? Because none of you, and myself included, are going to always get it right or get it right the first time. So we have to have the freedom to fail. People will give you tremendous freedom to fail if you're humble. They really will. If you're just, hey, I'm trying, I'm not sure, but here's what I got. People will cut you slack, right? You guys have experienced that. So, good news, at Church on the Rock, you're free to fail. Fail a lot. It's okay. Uh, just acknowledge it when you do. If you make a mess, clean it up. It's all good, right? Free to fail. Now, the other thing we have to do is we have to have a protocol to practice because, uh, again, we're not all going to get it right the first time. And if the standard is... Uh, you don't get to say anything until you get it right, and you've never gotten it right before, you're going to be down here on the I'm too afraid to try. So we have to have a protocol where you can practice. We want you to practice. So I'm going to give you some protocol, some things that will help you to practice speaking for God in a safe way. All right? And again, I don't have time to just do a whole, you know, there's a lot, we could do a whole series on being prophetic. Uh, So I'm going to just give you some boundaries, all right? All right, here we go. Now, there's two things that happen when you're going to speak for God or when you get a prophetic word. Uh, One, you have to process it, and then two, you have to present it. So let's talk about those and let's break them up. In processing, this is probably the most important thing you can do. I want you to mentally separate the key components. And here's what I mean by that. Um, These are what I'll call the key components. The first is the revelation, what God actually said or showed you or you felt or you just knew or you saw a picture or you had a dream, the part that is God that he gave to you. That's the revelation, okay? Now, we need to separate that out of everything else. Um, I want you to see, for example, what will happen is God might give me a revelation about someone, and I share that with them. And then, because I'm, uh, my personality is such that it is, I might make a joke. And then, uh, I, and, and, and then, because my gifting is teaching, I might begin to teach them what to do with what I just shared. Now, it's very important um, that I put the quotation marks around what God said. So once you imagine you're reading three pages, and it starts with God said, and there's no quotation marks. You don't know where God quits talking and the author starts talking, right? I don't want to do that. So I'll be very careful to go, here's what I feel like God said. Now, this is just me pastoring. This is just me making a joke. That wasn't God's joke. That was my joke. God's jokes are better. Right? Right? You understand what I'm saying? So we separate out the revelation. We have to put quotation marks around it. Sometimes it's really easy to just get excited and just keep talking, and you haven't put in the quotation marks. And people don't know that now you're just exhorting. If you're, uh, you know, again, I might go to teaching. Uh, Someone else uh, might go to 
uh, encouragement or might go to evangelism and start uh, talking about their salvation, whatever. Your giftings and those things are going to come out. You're being an ambassador. But you've got to put quotation marks around the part that God said. We've got to make it clear when we're saying verbatim, God said this or showed me this or did this and all the other elements. We separate that. Is that clear? Probably the most important thing you can learn this morning about being prophetic is separate that out because that's usually relatively brief. God isn't super long-winded, which is weird because he's a pastor, but um, (laughs) I don't understand. Anyway, uh, now once we have the revelation, then you need to interpret it, and sometimes God will be involved in that, Um, but it's not always necessary. Uh, for example, you know, hey, I saw a blue Camaro, and it was like in the 70s. And so then, you know, you pray, and you feel like God gives you interpretation. Um, you know, and blue typically means a prophetic, and cars often mean ministry. And the 70s was a Jesus movement. I think God's given you a prophetic ministry, like in the days of the Jesus movement. And they go, that's great. Uh, but... You know, I used to have a blue Camaro, and when I first got it, I was thanking God, and I was praying, and I felt like he spoke to me something about my future, and I was, uh, I was just thinking about that last week, and I wondered if that word was true, and I'd go, well, let's change my interpretation. <laughs> you probably didn't need that. It's probably just God reminding you that he spoke to you in a blue Camaro. That was probably a word from God. Whatever he said, do it. So you see how now we're getting an interpretation part. It can be a lot more subjective. Maybe God gets involved and helps you interpret it. Maybe you just share it. Now, I always think it's best just to go, here's what I saw. Does that mean anything to you? And they might go, yeah, I used to have a blue Camaro. And you go, great. I don't have to interpret it. You know what it means. My work here is done. Awesome, right? So then the next element would be application. What do I do with it? Sometimes, again, God might be involved in that. God said this, and I think you're supposed to do this. Or it might just be, uh, God said this, and I'm going to, this isn't God. This is just me being pastoral now. I'm going to give you some counsel. Here's what I think you ought to do. But it's important that I don't tell them what I think they ought to do and couch it in, this is what God wants you to do, isn't it? You understand, that would be disingenuous. And so, we separate those things out. And then finally, confirmation. I always look for confirmation. Does that make sense to you? That's a great question to ask. Plus, we're learning, and we're, it's a protocol to learn. So how are you going to learn if you don't get feedback? How did I do? Does that make any sense to you? I did that one time. Uh, this is just to show you how easy it is to miss. Uh, I've always remembered this one. I don't remember the details of it, but I remember doing it. Uh, it was way back in the 90s when we were having the renewal, and I'm praying for this person, and I got five things, bam, 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 bam. And they were not things you could spiritualize. They were like, either they were true or they weren't, like you're pregnant, you know. It's like, well, no, I meant you're pregnant with purpose, or, you know. <laughs> you know how we do. Uh I, it wasn't that, but I don't remember what they were, but I remember there were five specific things. And so I'd go, is this happening? Is this true? Is that true? Is that true? Is that? And I went down the list. And I went four for five. The last one was wrong. It was clearly wrong. No way around it. It was wrong. I have no idea to this day why I went four for five. So all I did was go, all right, let's pay attention to the first four and ignore that one. All right? And so I got feedback. I just asked him, does this make sense? And Four of them were confirmed, which is pretty cool. So we went with those, and no one remembers the fifth one now except for maybe God. I don't know why that happened. I don't even remember the other four. So we get confirmation. Now, here's the thing. Because we're ambassadors, differing gifts and personalities are going to come into play. Like I said, you're going to get a word, and then you're going to feel like encouraging them, And it's all going to feel like God because it's the same Spirit giving us the gift, right? So the encouragement feels just as gaudy as the prophetic or the teaching or the uh, whatever, right? Or you get a word of knowledge 
and you, uh, you say, you know, hey, uh, I, I had a pain in my back and I don't have a bad back and I think God wants to heal backs today. And who has a bad back? And seven people raise their hands and you get excited. Now, did you have a word of knowledge? Yes. Does God want to heal backs? Yes. Is there a guarantee that God's going to heal all seven of those people? No. So if you just get excited and go, you guys come on up here and God's going to heal every one of you. Well, that's awesome. And he may. And that's scriptural. But did God say that? No. You just had an impression. And you felt like God wanted to heal backs. So again, quotation marks. It's all good when your giftings and your uh, your personality comes into play, you just got to be very careful that we separate out the word of God or the, the, the he said from all that. Right? Does that make sense? So, uh, you know, God's healing backs, awesome. God's going to heal every person who walks in here. Uh, that may or may not happen. There are other factors involved. Right? Now, if God says he's going to heal every person who walks in here, yeah, say it. Well, you know, then it better happen. <laughs> But you know what I mean. And again, there's things we can say because the Bible says them. God heals all our diseases. So you can say that. But that's different than right now, this morning, in this moment, this is going to happen. So we just want to be careful when we speak for God that we put the quotation marks on the part that we know uh, or that we're pretty confident came from God. And understand that we're going to mix in our giftings and our personality. It's going to feel just as anointed. But that doesn't mean we get to say God uh, is saying all that. Uh, you know, remember the Bible says in many words, sin is not lacking. So the longer we talk, the greater the odds are that we're going to screw it up. <laughs> right? Which is really weird for a pastor to say. So, anyway, uh, does that make sense to you? All right, so... Number two, then, in presenting, um, we want to present simply with authenticity, humility, and relatability. Uh, like I said, uh, no one speaks in King James anymore. There's no reason to speak in King James when you prophesy, especially if you're doing it at work. You know, hey, Bob, how's the wife and kids? Uh, by the way, uh, verily, verily, and you just, you know, got people over there in the dictionary, look, what's Verily. Why do we, yeah, because we wouldn't do that at Harris. We'd just do that at church because we're expected to be weird at church, right? Well, don't be any weirder at church than you would be at work, all right? Only be weird if God makes you. All right. So authenticity, humility. Again, humility is huge. You're offering the word so that if, they, if it doesn't make sense to them, they can reject the word without having to reject you for being pushy. They can just reject the word and still like you because you were humble and you just offered. Right? All those things. Now, a couple uh, specifics I do want to hit quickly. One of the biggest ones is prophesying in first person or thus saith the Lord. All right? Um, prophesying in first person means you go, you, you literally speak for God. You're quoting. You know, God says, hey, I'm talking to you. Uh, here's what you need to do. Here's why you need to do it. Here's what I think. And you're saying, I like God, right? First person. Um, we don't forbid it because it happens sometimes. And again, thus saith the Lord, you don't really need that because no one's going to be speaking for Baal or someone else here, <laughs> right? Amen. So we pretty much know who you mean. Uh, but uh, my point is this. We don't forbid that, but we strongly discourage uh, that as a default uh, or even using it very much because the standard is way higher when you do that. Understand the scrutiny goes way up because you're saying literally God said this. And sometimes uh, it's just one of your other giftings or it's just you preaching or it's your stream of consciousness. And we've had people say things first person that God wouldn't say. Uh, one that comes to mind was someone said, uh, they're going through and they're going through and they're going through, and I am not a God of emotions. And I went, well, that's not true, is it? 
And so I didn't embarrass the person. I just talked with them afterwards. And they're not here anymore, in case you are trying to figure out who it is. Uh, and they were like, oh, and they felt bad. I didn't realize. I go, yeah, I go, that's the point. That's why we discourage first person, because you can just get going, and it all feels like God. And, uh, and you're just talking. And then you say something that God wouldn't say. It's way better if you got an impression to say, I have an impression. Or just share what you, you know, the, the eight words you got, not the 27 words you thought of afterwards. Right? Okay, so um, that's a warning. Uh, a good example for that, for me, uh, and, and let's understand a lot of this, guys, is just style. Uh, it's just a style we learned as a kid. It's how you prophesy. You know, you stand up straight, you add a syllable to a word or two, you, uh, and especially God, make it three syllables if you're really good. And, uh, you know, you say, thus saith the Lord. Well, that's just style. You don't have to do that. Do your own style. Do your personality. Okay? So, um, I, most of the time, get impressions. Uh, don't, I just know something. It just kind of floats up from here. And God trusts me to uh, convey his heart in sharing that in my own words, right, as an ambassador. Now, it would be irresponsible for me to put thus saith the Lord in front of that if I'm simply uh, using my words to describe an impression I have. Because God didn't say that. He just gave me an impression. It's way, way more genuine for me to say, I had an impression Here's what I think is going on, right? So we should just be genuine. We should just do that. When I have heard specific words, it's usually very few. Uh, I can't recall ever getting more than a sentence. I've never gotten a paragraph from God. Now, I might have a paragraph of teaching after the sentence, but I'm going to put my quotation marks on it and call that teaching, right? So anyway. So we're getting this. Um, and then the other thing I want to say is this, one last thing. Um, sometimes we will get a negative revelation, and there's, there's a couple of reasons that happens. Um, one is uh, genuinely from God. The other is we can also, uh, we can pick up on just the atmosphere, and sometimes you're getting revelation that's just stuff devils want to do to people, and you don't want to prophesy with devils, right? So we can get negative information, but we still have to, prophesy encouragement. I'll give you a great example. Uh, one time at youth, a long time ago, this girl comes in, she's kind of standing out to me, and a lot of times, uh, I, as I just focus on someone, that's when I'll begin to get prophetic stuff for them. So if you want to practice, you can just try that. Just focus on somebody and go, got anything you want to say to them? So uh, this girl's kind of standing out to me, and, uh, and what God shows me, or the impression I get, is that uh, she... Uh, just wants attention. She's, she's needy. She wants attention. So I'm going, I'm asking, what do I do, God? And really, to be honest, uh, what I'm asking is, how do I, in an encouraging way, tell her she's needy and stop that? <laughs> Which is a challenge, right? So God gave me that revelation genuinely that she was needy, okay? So I go, God, what do I do? I ask. When you get revelation like that, you ask, God, what do I do with this? You know what he said? He said, go give her some attention. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> so I just went and talked to her, gave her some attention. Didn't even have to prophesy to her. Just did what God said. So even if sometimes you might see uh, fear or, uh, or condemnation or something like that, don't, don't go, in, you know, who here is blessed by you know, when you're feeling condemned or afraid, someone else notices it and calls it out. I mean, <laughs> it's not really revelation. That's not helping him. That's not encouraging him. So you go, okay, God, what do you want me to do about that? He might just say, just pray for him. Or just leave him alone and pray for him. Or he might say, go say this to him. Go tell him about my plan for him. Go, yeah. right? So uh, the revelation, you don't have to say everything God tells you. Uh, sometimes he tells you stuff, just pray for people. Uh, but you, you do have to represent his heart and prophesy in such a way that's redemptive and encouraging. Does that make sense? Okay, so hopefully these are some, again, that was just a lot.
uh, I mean, there's a lot in the prophetic beyond that. That was a quick overview, but it ought to be enough to get you started. So here's your homework. Are you ready? Uh, try it. That's your homework. Somewhere in the next couple weeks, try this. Ask God to give you some prophetic encouragement to someone that you can talk to them. Uh, try it here at church. Everybody's heard the teaching now, so they'll be nice to you if you're humble. And, and give them genuine feedback. You know, get feedback. How'd I do? And if, if they say, well, you missed it terribly, but I love that you tried, you know, that's okay. Uh, or, yeah, you got it about half right. That was pretty good. That's how we learn. You want to be real bold, uh, try it with your, you know, waitress at your restaurant this weekend or whatever. Uh, I love doing that. I love, I like it better out there because it's harder, it's easier with people I don't know. It's real easy to find out how I did. And I just, I just ask the question, does this make any sense to you? And if they, if they kind of hem and haw, then you go, well, nope, it doesn't. <laughs> you just go, okay, I tried. Have a good day. Right? So, um, but do this. I forgot, we do have guidelines. These are actually printed somewhere on something at Church on the Rock. But, uh, so you may have seen these in the past. Um, so here's our guidelines at Church on the Rock. You have complete freedom to give people encouraging prophetic input Anytime you want, out in the parking lot, whatever, on your own, as long as it's encouragement, you are free to do that. We, we just say go for it. We do ask that you grab a leader if you get into what we'll call a little bit higher level of accountability. If it starts tipping into words that are predictive or directive or corrective, then we just ask you to take a leader with you because there's a, a higher accountability there. And we want somebody along to help pastor the word, help judge the word, uh, that kind of thing. Now, here's what I mean um, by predictive or directive or corrective. It's kind of degrees. If you, you get a word, hey, I, you know, I think you, uh, God's showing me you have a teaching gift. And you might want to think about uh, exploring teaching. That's great. That's encouragement. Go give it. Hey, I think God's showing me you have a teaching gift. And I think you're supposed to quit your job and go start a church. <laughs> Take a leader with you. We want to pastor that one. You understand what I'm saying? At some point, uh, you don't just want to wing it. <laughs> so, but feel free to practice, to try this. I'm telling you guys, uh, I've done this in classes, and I know Gary does this at his home church sometimes. At his home church, he just has someone stand up and say, everybody just focus on him, see if God tells you anything for him. And God tells him stuff for him. I've done this in classes where we're taught on the prophetic, and just... 30 or 40 people have somebody stand up and say, you guys go. Just look at them and see what God gives you. And then God will start giving them stuff for that person. Sometimes we just have to try. And God will start doing it. And in that way, you learn. God speaks to us different things, different ways. Rachel gets a lot of stuff about future. I almost always get stuff about people's gifting or about something going on in their life right now. Uh, and so you kind of learn where your strengths are. And, and we all have different ones. So... Uh, you're going to have to practice. But you can be anywhere on that scale of what we're calling confident humility, right? You're free to fail, free to practice. Uh, let's get better at this. And let's remember that we're ultimately, after conveying God's heart, not just getting accurate words, um, because we want to be able to go deeper into all the gifts in speaking for God. Amen? Amen. All right. Rachel, you have something to add? And then Brian will wrap us up, and then uh, you guys can fight for tables on Mother's Day at restaurants. I, I won't keep you guys long. I wrote about six things down because he was like, take notes, and then you might have something to say at the end. So I have a bunch of things to say, but we already heard a message. But when he was talking at the end about we're conveying God's heart, I just want to exhort all of us. That's why we talk a lot about not having the mad, sad God image, because if you're in that realm in the mad, sad God's image, you know, then that's what you're going to communicate to the people that you're trying to exhort. So this is why we encourage you to chase the love of God, get grounded in the, rooted and grounded in the love of God for you. And one of the greatest places you guys can do that is an Encounter God meeting or Tuesday and Thursday morning prayer or we don't have my hop right now, but any other kind of prayer meeting, like immerse yourself in a life of prayer and in the word because that's the thing that's going to begin to change your heart so that you can communicate the love of God um, to people because you're not coming with like, well, I think God is harsh or he's treated me that way. 
So just really exhort you guys in that, and that's what we, um, that's one of our main themes here. So there you go. That, 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 that dovetails perfectly into what I was going to say. Um, on one of the songs, uh, the course was, lead me in your love to those around me, right? And as ambassadors of Christ, that's what we're supposed to be doing, is leading people to the love of Christ. And, but you have to be a proper representative to do that, right? And, and so uh, this message is just, if any time in history the, Lord, the, the world needed to hear the message of the cross through a people that are loving and kind to them, that reach out to them, um, by showing your concern for them, by speaking words into their lives. It's now, right? Because people are hurting, they're freaking out still with this whole COVID thing, and, and it's causing them to, to be living in fear and anxiety. And, and uh, perfect love casts out fear. And, and so that's, what, that's, that's, that's your assignment this week, is to walk in that love and be the ambassador for Christ, right? So, Father, we thank you for another day of life, Lord, and, and we pray that you would help us to be that, that Christ-like ambassador, that we would show the love of Christ to those around us, and we would not be afraid to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.